We ended last time. The Mishnah, if you recall, asked, discussed um, how you can separate or whether you can separate groups, at what point you can separate groups. For a Zimun, again, we're talking about not merely Brikaramazon, but the Zimun itself, the Rabotain of Arech. And um, we then had, in, in what we talked about last time a few weeks ago, of uh, the sense of what it, at what point can you separate? How can you separate? And it brought the odd uh, example of of a mita, of a bed frame that had been become tame, and what happens if it's separated and put back together, and, and all those kind of things. Or we can continue with is again an explanation of the Mishnah. Uh, there'll be a one statement here of one the middle phrase, um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about. Um, the ancient concept of winemaking um, and how, how it is done and then move on as well to what happens with the pot, with challah, with challah as such, etc. and eventually move to different kinds of things as well. Alright, so we are Nun Amud Bet, we'll start from the Aleph in this book which is page 220. I don't have the pages for all the other books so everybody can tell everybody else Okay, 320 in that book. Anybody else have? Larry, where are you? You're in a different one. I'm in a different book that doesn't have 50B1. 50B1. Upper left hand corner. Right. Okay, so everybody have? Got it. Got it? Okay. Somebody want to start today? Okay. Shtei Chavurot Bukulu Tana Inyesh Shamash Beneim Okay, so look, the, we go back to the Mishnah. It says, Two groups of people eating, eating in the same house but not eating together. Let's say on this side of the table and that side of the table. When they can see one another, they can be counted in terms of reciting the Zimun. Those do it by themselves, and those do it by themselves. So, what does the Gemara come to say? The Shamash is a waiter, in this case. A waiter. Okay. In other words, he's serving the food, and if he's walking back and forth, he's the bridge between them in order to make sure that they can do... Birkat uh, Hamazon, the Zimun together. Um, so he's actually, if you will, the bridge. And even if they can't see one another, if he's walking back between the two groups, they're able to say Rabbatayin of Arach the Zimun together. Obviously, if they can see one another, the Mishnah says it's fine. If they can't see one another and there's no bridge between the two groups. They zelechud vezelechud. One does it their way, and the privately, and the other does it privately. So like how many places had rooms that were big enough that there would be? No, no, I'm serious. That there were there were big rooms. There were fairly big rooms. Again, what you have is rooms that there's no amplification. There's no good acoustics. 
and you have a group that's here and even a group that's there. No, I understand, but I would think most people lived in homes that were less than half the size, and that was their But that's the upper home. They did have halls. halls. Okay. They did have public buildings. All right, we have stuff from the Second Temple, which is large. Solomon's tables and those things are big rooms as such. So again, it doesn't have to be from here to, you know, the, the, the Blumberg, let's say. Okay? But if you're sitting here, this group's sitting here, and that group's sitting there, that's a fair distance, and there's noise in between and things going on and all kinds of other things. So are you part of the same community as such, or are you separate? That's so the there must have been enough of these for this to be in here. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. always that people just lived in these one-room places or very small But again, we're not, were if you're living in one-room spot, right. odds are you're eating together. Yeah. That's not a question. Right. Right. Okay? Right, you're clearly at, you're at a banquet hall. Right. Okay? You're at a shovel brachot. I mean, which they did. enough of them for them to have Oh, sure. Sure, right. sure. No, there's, there, the rooms are, some of the rooms are cavernous. They built with stone. Yeah. Okay, and again, because you didn't have amplification, you didn't have an adequate uh, sense of being here, able to hear one another, from here to there is a whole different world. But if you had somebody who's the bridge, meaning the waiter, from one place to the next, Mitzarfam, he is the one who brings them together as such. Okay? That's all the, the comment is at this, on that particular one. Um, okay? And and then the Torah Chachalas Chalachas basically says Shteicha Rot Sheinan Rot Zo Zo V'Yesh Shamash Achad Beinayim Mitzarfan Lazimun. Okay, that's it. Okay, now we're going to go on to this concept of wine. All right, so in the Mishnah again, it says Ein Mivarkin Alayin Ad Sheitein Lecho Tocho Mayim. You don't say the blessing Borei Priyagafen until you have what they had again was this concentrate of grapes. And they would pour water. All right, you're going to deal with it in terms of Pesach, where it says mazgu lo kosvishon. You pour, or literally, you mix. Not simply lishpoch, but limzog, which means to mix. If you mix the water and the wine for somebody, divrei Rabbi Eliezer v'chachamim mevarkim. So Rabbi Yellow says it's not really wine until it's mixed. There's no bracha that's recited. Chachamim say you still have to say the blessing. We don't know yet what the blessing is. Okay, as we'll see in a moment. This is from that issue of the wine not being like we have it now. Right. Correct. Like Correct. It was a concentrate. Again, those of us old enough remember the Assis stuff that you used to get in Israel. That's the concentrate. Okay, and you would pour water into it to dilute it because it was so bloody sugary or whatever it was, you couldn't stand it otherwise, right? So, so that that's exactly the concept. So, we'll go back now to the Talmud. Go ahead. Okay, so this is first of all just a little bit of technical stuff, all right? The Mishnah is very short. 
You have here clearly the same argument, but an extensive part of it. Okay, so just a little bit of background. The Mishnah we know was edited by Rabbi Yehuda Nasi around the year 200 of the Common Era. We don't know exactly a good deal about his editing concepts. I spent a lot of the time, I can teach that over, you know, in a couple of hours to say the least. Is he an active editor? Is he a passive editor? What did he leave in? Is it has to do with his opinion? Is it, it's, it's, it's based on the Rabbi Akiva's Mishnah and Rabbi Meir's Mishnah and then Rabbi Yehuda Nasi. There is also at roughly the same time what's known as the Tosefta. The Tosefta is Tanaitic material, ta- material from the time of the Mishnah that for some reason was not edited into the Mishnah. It may be extraneous. It may be that Rabbi Yehuda Asi didn't know about it. It may be that it's duplicative. It may be that it's contrary. And it may be that Rabbi Yehuda Asi did know about it and didn't put it in. If you, the Mishnah, the Tosefta, just the text itself, and I have a book in my studies about yay big. It's much larger than the texts of the Mishnah. Tosefta itself really was not studied. Mishnah was because it was part of Gemara and part of Talmud for many centuries. And the person who did the, the best study of it in recent times was Professor Lieberman. At the seminary, Tosefta Kipshuta, he called it, in which he dealt with the manuscripts and then and a short perush and then a larger perush as well in separate volumes. When he passed away, nobody could pick it up. It has been translated into the English Tosefta by the Neusner School. Okay, but it's very difficult. So the question is, when was it written? Why was it written? Etc. So many believe that it was written contemporaneously to the Mishnah. Some says even after. Judy Hauptman has a theory that it was even before the Mishnah, uh, as such. And it was these things were floating around as such. The reason I say that is, if you look in Masoret Hashas, okay. You will see, you can, again, the way you see this in, in the regular ones, you'll see a gimel right by the Tanur by the gimel uh, with a yayin. And if you look at gimel, it says, This is the Tosefta, Brachot Perak Dalid, and also the Yerushalmi. We now have taken this section, we, the editors of the Talmud, who knew about it, and whatever was written now, I've placed it here to explain a very short form of the Mishnah. This is now an explanatory thing. If Rabbi Yehuda Nasi knew about this, he could have put it to the Mishnah. Or he may be decided that I don't need all of this. I don't have enough room. Right? There's not enough room on the page. So I'll just do the short form. Many times in order for us to understand the Mishnah, they take a different a, a, a source in the same context. The Tosefta is very often used. So this is Tanaitic material from, we'll say, roughly the same time of the Mishnah, now an expanded version of the Mishnah discussion. And what does it say? Yayin ad natan yayin. Mayin. That's what we had straight from the Mishnah. It has to be the concentrate, it has to put water in it. Okay, you don't say borei priyagafen. Ela borei prihaetz. Why? Because it's not really wine. What is it? It's grapes that have been smashed up. Okay, it's the juice of the grapes. But it's not really wine. 
Meaning, you can wash your hands with it. Okay, why are you worried about that? Because remember, the concept of tuma comes from liquids. And therefore, your hands could perhaps become tame, and then you might touch something else, and you would therefore create tuma for that as well. Mishanatan letocho mayim. When you put water, now you created that concentrate, you created wine. Mivachim alav borei prihagafen. That is true wine. It has its own bracha. Okay? It's the only juice that has its own bracha. Apple juice, tomato juice, orange juice, etc. does not have its own bracha. Wine, because of the sanctity attached to it, and I was asked once, you know, what about stamyenum and all those kind of things. Wine, remember, is a ritual. It is used ritually. It was used by pagans for libations. It's used, obviously, by Christians, etc. Uh, Muslims stay away from wine. We drink wine, but we're very careful about wine. Extremely careful, lest we drink wine which isn't hechshered and all those kind of things, and it's become more machmir in, in the day and age in which we live because of Mavushal and everything else under the sun. So, wine itself was clearly something that was involved with Kiddushah and was given its separate bracha, unlike anything else. But only if it becomes wine. And when does it become wine? When water is mixed with that grape concentrate. At that point, it's true wine. You don't wash your hands with it, etc. That now simply explains the Mishnah where it said, What, what bracha don't you say? You don't say, but the Tosefta says, what do you say? Borei Priyaitz. That's the expansion of the Tosefta of the Mishnaic line. The Chachamim Omrim, Vein Kach Uvein Kach Mubarkim Allah Borei Priyagafen. The Ein Not Lihemenu Liyadayim. But the Chachamim say, already that concentrate is really wine, whether you have to mix water with it or not, and therefore the special blessing is added. And therefore, ain't not And what is what is the the Mishnah simply say? Mivarchim. We don't know what blessing even. The Tosefta allows us to be able to understand the context of their discussion, and the concept of their discussion is having to do when you don't put. They both agree what happens when you put water into it. They disagree what before you put unwanted. Is it really wine or not? To Rabbi Ezer, it's not really wine. Borei Priyayitz, Noblina Yadayim, Techachamim it is, and therefore Borei Priyagefen, and Ein Noblina Tayadayim. That's a perfect example, just from a terminal, from a technical point of view, how the Mishnah really elucidates and elaborates upon that one line of the Mishnah and adds to us a whole understanding now of what that line meant. I take it back. My experience was different. Uh, taking raisins and soaking it overnight. And that was pre-Hagathic. The blessing was over. And looking back to what Sidney used to do, he's a really a great maven mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in making wine. He never put water. No. But it's not, it's the concentrate. Okay? You, you can't drink just the grapes themselves, the juice from the grapes. 
Yeah. You know, to drink that as wine is just it's it doesn't have the same taste as when you make wine out of it. What is wine? It's not simply the sugar. The, oh, there's all kinds of ferm it ferments. Ferments. Okay. Yeah, and then you add there are additives that are attached to it too. When we made wine in the basement, we had the big whistle, the crocks, and we got the grapes, mm -hmm. and we squeezed the grapes exactly. through the towel, and then we covered up, we put sugar on top. Oh, sugar. Oh, right. Right. Ah. Is that never what the constitution once, you, once you've squeezed the grapes and you want to drink that, is that Borei Priya Gafan or is that Borei Priya Aids? That's the question. But that's the question. It's not after you ferment it and you put some sugar in and you you pour some liquid. I mean, oh, we never poured. I mean, it all, we never poured liquid in it. No one. But they did. They took what you had as the grapes originally, like the assis, and now poured water because you can't drink drink that straight. Okay, not, it's not wine that you want to drink for sure. Okay, it's good. And you also you also drain it, right? You take care of get rid yeah, of all of I understand. Well that's this is take that now just when you've squeezed the grapes, that's what they're talking about. Okay. Or the or the raisins or whatever it makes it be. That's the concentrate they're talking about. To be able to make wine at that point for them was like the assis, to add the water, to be able to mix it together and now you have something that's quote unquote drinkable. One quick digression. What's the oldest text of the There's or the manuscript. Mm -hmm. There are manuscripts uh, from the Middle Ages. I don't remember the oldest one. Nothing. Nothing before that. That's there's pieces. I mean, you have pieces from the Dead Sea Scrolls, and you you know right. those kind of right. things. Pieces, okay. but not a full manuscript. Not a full manuscript. But I'm trying to understand. So, so are, do Eliezer and the Hachamim also disagree about when you do Nitilat Yadayim? No, it's Nitilat Yadayim with this liquid. Yeah. Okay. okay, in other words, Before. it's not even... Nitilat Yadayim means you wash your hands, literally. Okay? So beforehand, it's not really wine. You, what you ever want to do with it, you want to do with it. Okay? To purify your hands. If you had to do that, you could use it. Once it's wine, you don't waste wine. Okay? It's this holy object. It's only used Biktushah, um, when your hands are clean. Then it's Borei Priya Gafan. Okay? The equivalent would be, okay, um, again, today, today when there are so many wines available kosher-wise, just phenomenal, etc., it's not a major issue. But most of us, when I was growing up, and I'm glad that when most of you were growing up, when it came time for Kiddush, it was Manashevitz, it was Kedem, it was Carmel, and I'm Bogan David, and that was it. And then if you were invited, if you had wine at the dinner, then very often you took non-hexured wine. Because there wasn't anything else, first of all, and nobody was as, as, as careful about wine as they are today, really. Mavushal never existed. It's like Galat didn't exist in the sense of... But from that point of view, none of us, I think, at least in my house, None of us would take that wine that we had during the dinner and now make kiddush on it. That you used all of these other lousy sugary wines. That as soon as you had to you know get rid of the taste right whatsoever, right away with all the sugar that's attached. But I, I can guarantee, at least I grew up that way. I'm sure most of you did as well. Today, thankfully, the plethora of kosher wines from all around the world, and they're good wines, many of them too, has changed the scenery. Or in our, at our dining room tables for Friday night. You also have non which is kosher. Right, right. 
He's got to use it separately, differently for those that worry him. But yeah. Okay, so that would be my equivalent. All right. Just yes. question. Um, is the Tosafot related? No, Tosafot are totally different. Tosafot are the grandchildren of Rashi in uh, Rabbi Nutam in Germany and in uh, France, 13th century. The comments on the text as they have it. Now, Tosefta and Tosafot are totally, totally different things. Okay, now we're going to go back. Now, who follows this kind of concept? Now we're going to Kiman. Last line. No, Kiman Azla. No, we got to read the first couple words. Where are we? Same line, but just we got to read the first the third word. Four words over. From Shmuel. Next line. Kiman Azla. Last line. Last line. Third word of the last line. Oh, okay. No, no. Go back three words. <laughs> ah, that's a. Who do we follow into this kind of discussion? Ha. Ah. So, well, no, no. Okay. Okay, man. Okay. Oh, sorry. Kirabeliezer. Okay. So, what does Shmuel say? Shmuel says, Ose Adam kol tzirachav. He does all of his needs. Okay? In bread. Okay? So, for instance, we have the same concept too. What happens if you don't have grape juice or wine in order to say kiddush? What do you use? Chala. You use chala. Okay? In order to mikadesh hayom. Remember the one... We always ask, you know, periodically, will you bless the wine? I love those, you know, at the bar mitzvahs. We're now going to call up Booby and Zadie to bless the wine. Well, bless the wine, for God's sakes. The wine isn't blessed. We use the wine to bless the moment. It's a vehicle, and that's all it is. We don't have blessed wine. Christians have blessed wine. But go train, go train the disc jockeys and the band leaders. I'll be my next life. Not now, for sure. So... Put it on your That's one of the things. According now, look at if you look at what um, it says in the in the Steinzels at the top line. Ose Adam Kotzrachav Shemutarli Shtamishem Lorak Lachila. Not only for eating, Elagam Lishaartzrachim for different kinds of things. Belilach Shosh LeVizayon HaOchel. Not to worry about. Shaming the food, the onim shehukeshitat Rabbi Yezer hamatir lito yayim beyayin chay, and that follows Rabbi Yezer because what did what did he say you could do? You could use it to wash your hands. So we're very concerned about bizayon halechem. We're very concerned about shaming the bread. When we worry, when do we worry about that? We cover. Why do you cover the bread? Okay, most of the stuff would. Because the bread's going to be shamed. It's going to be shamed that, oh, what do you mean you're going to get the wine first? What about me? Why do you think we cover the bread? That's why. Hmm? That's why. That's why. Right, no, somebody asked the bread and the bread told you. Panera. All right. <laughs> it talks to me every time I make it. Well, then we will talk to you separately. Why do you think? We're going out of order. Right. Right. Exactly. If the bread is there, you should do mozi right away. 
Ladies, why do you again close your eyes before you? You're doing the act before you. Correct. Well said. It's not all to welcome in the Shabbat. Very nice. Okay. What you're doing is you're lighting something, and then you're saying the bracha, and you close your eyes symbolically to show it's not really there till I see it. Because normally you say the bracha first before you do something. Here you can't say the bracha first because it's then a Shabbos. So we've worked on these legal fictions, if you will, and we've all, what have we done always? We've given them wonderful concepts. All right. So one one I always love too is you know you, you sit with with people before their wedding and they say I always tell them as you know when you when the when the male at least gives the female the ring she puts it on what what finger? The right forefinger. Okay, why? And they'll all give you the, today the same reason. And no, no, no. <laughs> why? That's the one that goes right to the heart. That's the one that goes right to the heart. What a bunch of Where's the heart? Okay. On the other side. Right, it's on the other side. Right. <laughs> why? Because that's the finger. The adim. It's easiest for the adim to see. There have to be adim. There have to be witnesses in order to see it. It's the one that stands out easily to see. But you'll tell. They, they made up this reason. It goes straight to the heart. Okay, so you know when I when I do those when people tell me that what they says that's a nice concept, but okay, so the bread the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't want to shame the bread. Now, actually, in a, in in um, the Torah portion, not this week, but the end of Mashpatim, the same concept applies. Anybody know the end of the uh, of the portion? No, it's, it's it's the end of portion. I'm sorry, the end of portion of Yitro. In the portion of Yitro, after the Ten Commandments, what's the first law after the Ten Commandments? Kohanim, Kohanim, walking up the steps. Okay, they have to wear long skirts or things. Why? Modesty. Because who might see it? The stones. The stones are worried about modesty. Okay, so what is it? What it, what it became? Allah kama even the more so having to do with human beings. Okay, the stones are worrying about being shamed. It's good you don't so teach nursery school. <laughs> I destroy every myth. If you want to study, so as you've studied Hanukkah with me, I destroy every myth. And then you walk out here and says, "Oh, I don't want to listen to him again." Yes, I, I, you know it's it's, a, it's the great question that comes up is again we got Pesach coming up. Purim is Mela, you know Pesach. We we can disprove all the, all parts of the story and we can say this happened and that happened, etc. The bottom line is, when you sit down at the Pesach Seder, you may have all this intellectual part. It's the emotional and spiritual part that takes over. To me, the beauty of conservative Judaism is I can do both. I can study the scientific, the intellectual, and everything else, but there are moments when I say, this is spiritual. I don't know if it exactly happened that way, but that's what my people believe. Mm -hmm. And the fact that my people believe it is enough for me to say, I'm going to tell that story the way the Torah had it. Okay, there's a difference between tefillah and iyun tefillah. Iyun tefillah is the study of, of the sidur and the tefillah. There you rip apart the, the, everything and say, you know, this is what the tefillah was, etc. But when you daven, it's a different concept. Mm-hmm. Okay, same thing with the way at least I was raised to be able to study Tanakh. You take Tanakh and JPD and documentary hypothesis and, and different sources and this and everything. But you want to know something? Wait, 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 I see the hand. Just let me finish. Okay. But I see. But what happens when I when the Torah goes around? Oh, that's J. I think we're reading. 
you reach out and kiss the Torah because the, sim the symbolism of that is, goes well beyond that sense. The challenge is to mix the two. So if you're in the Orthodox movement, you don't mix the two. The beauty of the art scroll Sidur is that it's a wonderful Sidur. If somebody doesn't know anything and you can follow it, and it's very well, the, the translation is very, very literal. The bad part of art scroll and everything is it just tells you what you believe. Makes no, everything, written law, oral law, midrash, shock, everything is all one and the same. Okay? And, and the challenge ultimately is to take this sense of both being, living in the world and using your intellect and still having the sense of spirituality at the same time. That's not an easy thing to do. We do, you know, we can study Tanakh all year, all week. But when it comes to seeing Mizmorla David, I don't study it. I daven it. I sing it. I become one with the text. And that challenge is really part of, I think, what, what allows conservative Judaism to both live in the world and to be able to say, I'm still part of this spiritual of the Jewish people who needs to praise God as my ancestors did generations ago. But Thank it's you. a challenge. I saw one hand before. No? Oh, yes, that's it, you want to say? Okay, so Jane. Explain the word iyun. Iyun means to study, to, 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 look, to, to really look into. Ayin. I have a question. Since when are we lighting a Shabbat candle, Hanukkah candle, and say, Asher Tzivanu, where does it come from? Tzivanu. Well, Shabbat candles, one can say it comes from Shabbat. Hanukkah clearly is not the Torah whatsoever. But where is Tzivanu? Where, where are we applying? The rabbis. Oral law. They made Hanukkah, Asher Kichanu, Mitzvotav, Tzivanu. The crowd, we're going to say, Asher Kichanu, Mitzvotav, it's part of that's who we, that we are in the sense of, of the, again you cannot separate the written law and the oral law you can study about them you can separate them you can scientifically uh, pull them apart but when it comes time to doing the mitzvot that's part of who we are oh, I love what you said about the intellectual truth versus the spiritual but what does conservative Judaism say about someone like um, Sarna I believe who said it moral truths are also there Oh, oh, look, uh, there's much more. Than, there's values. Okay? Now, if you study the Torah, there are values that we don't like. You just did Ebed Ivri. Okay? You have Avraham and Yitzchak selling, ready to get rid of their wives. You, you know, you have Yaakov and... The, what, we, what do we say to those answers? They're not perfect people. They make mistakes. We learn from their mistakes. There's jealousy of Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Right? There's nobody who's even close to being perfect. Maybe that's so, I think it is. No, it is. And you don't, you don't, you don't, you can't, none of us can actually be a Moshe, but Moshe clearly wasn't perfect. Every human being has foibles, weaknesses, etc., and have to be accepted where they're at. So, yes, there's much more than, than, than simply what I said, but these are the two ways to, to bring together this sense of, of both study and the spiritual nature. Yes, there are values and there are morals and there are teachings, but again, some of them are not ours either. We rebel against them. And that becomes, again, the difficulty, too. Can we deal with both the intellectual, the spiritual, and the modern, which has changed our realms of understanding what morality is? Morality today is not the same as it was two generations ago. Okay? That, that, or sometimes two months ago. Right, sometimes. Right. And we deal, and, and again, so what we try to teach, at least what we try to teach as a rabbi from the pulpit, is that there are eternal values. It's not just based on the realities of 
you know, existentialism and, and everybody can make it their own as they go. That there are real standards and values, but as soon as you begin to let down those values and standards, then anything becomes permissible. So I, I don't disagree whatsoever, but I'm just talking in terms of the way, you know, six days a week you study in a certain way, and the seventh day, yeah, but you said that that, that psalm wasn't, that, that's not really the text, and it didn't really appear that way, and, and you know, it's, it, it's, uh, it needs to be read how. Sorry. When it comes to the Torah, I may scientifically pull it apart, but when it comes to the Torah being brought around, it's a symbol for me. It's a totally different symbol. Same thing with Pesach, the same thing with almost anything. You can talk about the mitzvot and, and pull them apart and the whys and the wherefores, and you can disagree, etc. That's why there was already by the Middle Ages that uh, you don't look for Talmud, actually, look for Talmud mitzvot. You don't look for the rationale of the mitzvot because you can rationalize them away, too. And as soon as you begin doing that, there's the famous one of the Tzbat Sanhedrin of Shlomo, the great Chacham, right? There, there very, very rarely is the um, Torah tell us of exactly why you're supposed to do something. It does tell you with the law of the kings. Okay, you're only supposed to have not to have too many wives, right? Eventually, the Talmud says 18, etc. Why you're supposed to have many wives? They may lead you to idolatry. They may lead you astray into idolatry. Okay, you're not supposed to have too many horses as a king, because you may go back to Egypt. Okay? You're not supposed to have too much wealth. There are three things that are mentioned, and Shlomo said, "I'm smarter than everybody else." And what happened? He failed in all of them. And therefore, the Talmud says, "We don't." They're not given them necessarily to intellectually understand them. They're given nasev and ishma, and as soon as because as soon as you begin rationalizing them, all right. Take example, just as the one that you all know. Not see the kid or cook a kid in its mother's milk. Okay, what was that? Even the Rambam says that was an ancient pagan practice that you shouldn't do it because humanity take its mother's milk and, and to to see the kid in it what kind of humanism is that what kind of humanities it show and yet what is for us to civilize separation of milk and meat three times it said therefore not eating not deriving benefit from and not cooking together now under those conditions go try to explain that to somebody who says well why do you keep separate dishes and in most cases, what do you what do what you don't say? Well, because it says in the Bible, you should not see the kid in his mother's milk. You may start there, but they'll say, oh, that's why you have separate dish towels and separate sinks and everything, because you're worried about seething the kid in your mother's milk, right? Uh, I don't think any of you do it that way. So, what is what kind of answer do you give if you're asked? Huh? Okay. Well, but what does that mean? That means the rabbis have come down and interpreted don't mm -hmm. see the kid yeah. in its mother's milk by doing these things. That's how we interpret it. That's how we put it into the practice. Okay. That would pick up chicken. And chicken, if you're talking about it, that's the reason for the separation of the meat and milk is because of what it says that chicken doesn't have a mother's milk. So then why can't chicken? So there was a disagreement with chicken. Right. Although today, as I said, chicken is meat to everybody. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, let me, let me finish. I, I see the kind of just finish. <laughs> no, no, no. So, so what, what, did you, why, why else? Why else do you say it? So you don't have I was raised that way. 
It's, it's just unfathomable to me to have a glass of milk after the after the roast beef sandwich. Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah. Half the world does. Most of the world does. Okay, have a milkshake after your roast beef sandwich. What do you think Arby's and the rest of them do? And we go. Ew. Well, what's wrong with it? Is your stomach curdle? It would if we ever had those of you who kept kosher in your life and had it. It would curdle, I guarantee, for sure. Okay, a cheeseburger. Okay, and we're so careful that there are people who won't have a cheeseburger even with the the melted kosher cheese. It is because it, oh, Mars Ion doesn't look good. I can't even put it in my mouth. Part of it is simply this tradition. This is what Jews do. So yes, you can explain it rabbinically, etc. But it's part of the, the recognition of this is what we do. And and then we think, you know, think well, the separation allows us to think separately about kiddushah and eating, taking it from a a, a human, a, an animal thing to move it to a higher, etc. We use rationales all the time. And again, part of that is also the challenge of conservative Judaism because we don't say it's kishribin. It's written, so that's why we do it. We have to come up with better answers than that. And every time you come up with a better answer than that, some smart aleph is going to say, that's an answer? That's not good enough for me. You'll answer it. These are the, mo- the modern challenges of this, of this movement more than anything else, I think. Um, and how you set those standards and, 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 th- and recognize that ultimately not everybody's going to, because the intellectual world will use, if you can't either give me a reason intellectually or I can find satisfaction spiritually, it's not for me. What's in it for me is the answer that we all have to deal with today, and uh, that's a real problem. Nobody wants to deal with community issues. But what happens, you're brought up that way, since I was a child, okay, and continue doing it. And then you get to a point in your life and says, the whole thing is a nonsense. I'm not Some do. Some do. There's no doubt. And that's why it's a free choice at a certain point. And you kind of say, you know, people rebel against it because it was stuffed down my throat. Or I need to show freedom. Or I have to show separation from my parents or whatever it is. And, yeah, clearly. Clearly. And what happens very often as people age, they come back to it. Look at the very, very actually, actually what happens very often older people will come back to it because of a certain sense of, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I'd rather be on the, on the side of hoping it's right. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, it, you, because it's a comfort level, too. So this, the, these are the, really the issues here that, that I think you're dealing with. So, again, this bread thing, you look at it, okay? All the kids in the Hebrew school, I'm sure, learn we don't want to embarrass the bread. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they come home and say, "Well, I, you know, you got to put the challah on to put thing up to embarrass the bread." And you go to yourself, "Embarrass the bread? Give me a break!" <laughs> but what can you teach from there? Listen, kids, if your boys are standing around, okay, listen, we're not supposed to embarrass the bread. Just think now how severe it would be if we embarrass one another. Mm-hmm. That's the that becomes the lesson of the Shabbos table. If you use it, that's the morals and ethics. If we're worried about something silly, quote-unquote, as that, just think now how you can hurt somebody else unless you're very careful. So what, So why don't we just leave the chal in the kitchen and bring the chal out after we do kiddush and the tila I guess you could. I don't know. Your table is set. Whoever thought that you'd leave it in the kitchen, right? <laughs> leave all the food in the kitchen. No. 
All right, that was kind of a, a riff, if you will, that I did. So much appreciated. Sure. Modim Okay, so now we can say it can be used for other things. We'll get back to what those other things are too. Let's go back to text. Amar Rabbi Yossi. Amar Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Hanina. Modim Chachamim Rabbi Eliezer. Vikos Shel Bracha. This is the real sense of doing the Kiddush with the Friday night with the Manashevitz and everything else, okay? With the Koshel Bracha. When you're going to ritually use it, even Rabbi Yezer says, it's got to be mixed with wine, it's got to be what we know as Mina Mufkar, as we'll see in a moment. You've got to do the right thing so it's the best possible way of doing it. Okay, go ahead. Maitama, Amar Rabbi Oshaya. Mukhar, meaning Hidur Mitzvah. You do it Mina Mukhar from the best. And the best way to do it is to make sure that the wine, the wine has water in it, it's mixed, it's tasty, you don't just spit it out, and you can enjoy the experience whatsoever. The Rabbanan, the Mai Okay, so so the question is the Rabbanan. Now, what are the Rabbanan doing to um, with regard to the concentrate? Okay, they say, in other words, why would it even be used whatsoever? Kuriyate seems to be some sort of medical potion. Okay, It says so. Somehow there was. It's from the Greek, a type of nut-shaped date. Apparently, they mixed it with various liquids, strong wine, and used it for medicinal purposes. For medicinal purposes, meaning it's still usable. Right. It's something that's not very for wine. You're not going to drink it at the table, but it's still something usable, and therefore you have to be careful with it, uh, and you have to deal with it properly. Okay. So now let's go back to previous page and look at Iunim, the last one. It says Yain Lediti Latyadayim. The first column. Is the last? Oh, it's Yain Lediti Latyadayim. Rashi Nor A Near E Near E Ki all right, so for according to Rashi, it is Yain She No Mazug, it's not mixed. You, you can actually use it for Nitilatya Dayam before the Suda, before eating. Okay? Now, however. Shayim has many difficulties, as you can imagine. Why would you wash your hands? You'd think you'd stain them, actually, wouldn't you? If they were dark ribs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, but there are some people who said that it can it can actually stand this perush. Arivad, arivad. Arivad, yeah. So, according to the Ravid, it's used, why would you wipe your hands? You get them really filthy. Okay? My, the fights in my 
grandchildren side with my they got to go wash their hands as soon as they do something and walk on the you know on the floor or walk from outside etc okay you wash your hands and you got to wash them with something you're not doing the tilakya daim for bread but you got to wash off your dirt so according to the riva then it can be used for that it's not going to be used for something holy but simply to wash off your hands and since it's not really wine and it's not so important you can actually use it to wipe off your hands to clean your hands and when it has been mixed then already it's wine is then this, you can't do is it. Is this assuming that there's no water to, to wash your hands? Because I can't imagine why grape concentrate would be... Presumably there's not water close right, to so you. That's something, that's something that's liquid that you could use to get the schmutz off here. Correct. Okay. You're out in the field. Uh, You're out in the uh, field. There's no water necessarily beside you in the desert and you have this thing with you. And you don't have sand, hand sanitizer. <laughs> exactly. Again, you gotta go back to you got to go back to their thing. Okay, or wet wipes. Uh, so. Right. Um, so okay. Uh, Let me just see if I want to do this. Right, right. I just think you'd carry it in your, you know, camel. Pants. All right, we'll just leave it. All right, let, let's just do. Let's just do the. the yeah. Um, but the Chachamim says either one you make a bracha. Right. So the Chachamim, you can't do this. Ain't nothing. They say you can't already. It's wine. It's considered to be wine from its very beginnings. The Chachamim says you can't. Because he doesn't see it as wine at the beginning. Okay. All right. Look at let, looked at Orach uh, Halachan, the next column, but the bottom one. Tilat Yadayim Biyayin. Tilat Yadayim Biyayin. Yesh poskim ki ein Tilat Yadayim ela b'mayim. You must use water. Okay. Biyesh Omrim shegam abiyayin efshali to. And some say you can even use wine because it's a liquid. But you don't do it because levazot means to shame, to shame, to hurt, to, to do something inappropriate. And everything is tied clearly to what Chachamim said. Okay? Um, so, what we're going to go into next, we'll start at least, is what can you do with food? What would be considered to be inappropriate to do with food and what is considered to be appropriate? Not things like eating it, but doing other things with them, with the food. We'll see what that means as we go on. Let's go back to the text. Tanu yeah. Rabbanan. Um, is there a difference between the way the Orachah talks about Bizei Ochlim and the way Shkain talks about Bizei Ochel? Same thing. Okay, so Same thing. talking about shaming the eater and Right, the again, again, ochlim is not the people are eating it, it's the food. Oh, okay. That's what, that's, yeah. It means the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Four things were talked about, about with regard to pat is bread. Okay, that you don't take literally live bread, right, uncooked um, meat and put it on the bread. Why? Why? Blood. Exactly. The blood will seep into the bread. 
And you don't take a full cup of wine and move it over the bread because it may spill. Okay, once it's spilled, then it can become tamay and everything else under the sun. Okay, how many of you at your tables take the challah and throw it at people? Oh. <laughs> well, your daughter does. Well, she hasn't learned this Mishnah. <laughs> you know, they didn't teach it at Schechter when, like, you know, when they were doing it, so that, if you didn't, it didn't exist. All right? Um, wait, 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 wait. Okay, now, so this says you don't throw it. Okay? So, well, again, why would you not throw it? Well, were we a smaller table? What? Do you think that's what it was? The tables were big and they were sort of... No, like it's possible. considered to be, you know, you're throwing things that are considered to be of, of you know, of holy nature as such. What? Right. Okay, but again, you sit at, at, sat at tables where literally the custom is to break out the pieces of bread and... So where is that? Oh, I have no clue. Probably because... Uh, I wouldn't trust that rabbi. Well, yeah. Now, where, the question is, where did that rabbi get it from? I, I know you don't know. I'm just saying. Uh, uh, no, no, maybe. I, but again, this is what the mission is. This is. So, yeah. So you throw it instead, like a baseball. You throw it. It makes also also great sense, right? Yeah, yeah, no, no. I've, I've sat at some tables where that's actually, actually the the custom you just heard. Probably love it. Um, yeah, but it, it, it's considered here bizayon. Okay, it's considered to be as bizayon. It's it's shameful with regard to food stuff. Okay. Okay, and you don't lean the the kaara um, the bull because of the putt. What is this basically saying? What, what what's the what's respect the concept? Respect for the bread. Respect, respect for the bread because. Respect for the bread because. Because it comes from God. Well, because it again. What what is the staple of life? What are we dealing with here? We're dealing with bread and wine. Two of the most important things, okay? Where does bread appear? It appears in, in the Mishkan. Okay, we're going to read about it. Lechem apanim. Okay, we read about it last week. Yes, sir. Correct, the Mishkan. That's the Lotanik. That's the actually when I quoted the one Lotanik Barzel. But make sure that the challah was there. Okay, so what you can very often see in places is that during the meal they'll take off the challah, and then when it comes time back to Birkat Mazon, they'll put back the challah. Again, yeah. we show respect for food. Now, again, all of us were raised by Jewish mothers who reminded us to show respect for the food too. Yeah, eat up your full plate. 
because the kids ch- starving in China, right? You got to worry about the kids starving in China because you didn't eat your peas. You, you don't throw. You know, all the manners. Yeah, okay, I got grandchildren now, okay? And I watch, and they know that they, if they sit beside, that they sat by my father all of a sudden. We had one, my, one of my nieces was, was a disaster at the table. And the rule was she had to sit beside my father, who was prim and proper at the table. And boy, did she hate that. Okay, so the, the the grandchildren now know that if they really act up at the table, they get to sit beside me. You know, <laughs> so I, I get. You, where do you get manners from? You get it from the home, right? And the, or the lack thereof. And so there are certain things that are considered to be appropriate around the table. Okay, especially a Shabbat table. Okay, both the words you use, what you do, etc., and the food should not be taken for granted. All this re- relies again to baltashkid. You shouldn't just throw it out. Okay, all kinds of things that relate to the fact of don't take anything for granted. beforehand, afterwards. All of it suggests that once we take that food for granted and play with it, how many times did you hear Jim? Don't play with your food. What are you playing with your food? What am I? I'm moving the peas back and forth that I don't want to eat. Is what I'm playing with my food. But the word even playing was considered to be a busha, was considered to be shame. You had to recognize that there are people who aren't as fortunate as you are at that moment to have food on your plate. Treat it properly. That's where we learn all that. Okay? And watch young kids until they learn those, those things, uh, the way they throw food and everything else under the sun. Until you finally say, you throw it, you don't get it. Or you pick it up, or you don't eat it, whatever your rules are in the household. Basically, you you are going to take this to, the pot to be used in size like a vessel. Okay, you basically are taking the kara, you're pulling up one against the other. What is how does it translate in English? The last one. One may not prop up a dish with a piece of bread. Prop up a dish. Put it. Lean on it. Lean the car around the pot. Okay. So, again, um, it's really. So again, it's both. It's a respect that is part of it. Um, Okay, and the way and and uh, and a sense of appropriateness under the under the the other case. Okay, let, let's just read one last one uh, in the Iunim. The second one, Bizayonok Lim, and then we'll finish with that. Bizayonok Lim, the second in Iyun. Bizayonok Lim. Nere Shekhar Rosh. Rosh, the Rosh. Rosh. We'll get to that. There's some sort of cakes. Klal, Lo Klal. Because not because they're only because they will get <coughs> rotten as such. It's just not appropriate to throw food around because it's bizayon. It's shameful food. And and next one is the key one. Vitamo. Vitamo shall isur bizayon. Ochlim mishum shall yedei kach. Harehu 
Kid Go Fair. If you use it as simply as throwing at one another or use it properly, it's as if you're showing you don't showing gratitude to God for the food that's on your plate. Okay, you're using it as an object, something playing with it. All right. Again, watch young kids the way they play with the food until you have to teach them that's not appropriate. Okay, because to them it's just. I watch Sammy now. That you know, it's, it's 17, 16 months or whatever it is, and you see him basically. You know, they don't like the food. <laughs> All right, and you have to teach them that's not appropriate. Okay, that's food, but that's the way. Again, to them it's just a toy. Can I share a beautiful story about Lisa Mattinson? Because my daughter and Elisa, when they were about four years old, were playing at her house, and they had a candy cupboard that they weren't allowed to go near. And Elisa saw. The, I mean, Mattinson in the Mattinson house. The kids walked over to this cupboard and opened it up. And Lisa was about to scold them, but before they reached into the cupboard, they said a bracha. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So if we say a bracha, we can do it. Yeah. Alright. Alright, so we'll stop there. Lots of different things that we covered today. We'll continue with this uh, next time. Thank you. Okay, thank you.